Someone who is always reading and learning and developing that inner strength within himself and then sharing that message with each of us every Sunday is our very own spiritual director and leader, Dr. Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Well, it's a special morning. That's why I've got the the special outfit on and my new um, christening glasses that I bought for the occasion too so all right I'm gonna invite you to sing a song with me and we'll say a prayer if you'd like to stand and do that please feel free if not you can stay seated very room there's quite enough love for all the world and in this very room there's quite enough joy for all the world and there's quite enough love And quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit is in this very invite you to know with me the recognition of that one life, that one power, that perfect life, Spirit's life, God's life. And what I know upon that recognition is my own union with it. And so I stand with you in the collective welcome and understanding of the revelation of that truth. Not something that we welcome in, but something that we express from that innermost being of self. And so I give thanks this day for that remembrance, for this remembrance, for our beautiful teaching and philosophy, for remarkable men and women that come together, mind the depths of their own awareness, their own experiences, and put down stories that are no longer important to be open and welcome to the new, to honor the old stories in a way that makes them impactful and wonderful and all lessons and opportunities for further expression. This is a day of celebration, a day of the recognition of spirit. We honor all traditions, the Christ in every person, the Buddha nature that lives within everyone, and the beauty and the joy and the majesty of spirit within all of nature. And everything we think, do, and say is impacted by that. For this I give thanks, knowing that our service today, our celebration this day is powerful and wonderful in many wonderful ways, that we have a beautiful christening this morning and celebration of life that is not only a christening for two beautiful children, but it's a remembrance of the divine spark, that beautiful child that lives within each and every one of us. With that said, I give thanks. I give thanks to be in service to this idea, to these principles, to stand in the courage and the love and the willingness of our truth 
collectively and individually. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Well, as I mentioned in my, in my uh, blessing, and I brought some um, things for our christening with me today, we're going to do. A, we're going to begin our service this morning with a, a short uh, christening, and I'm going to invite. Well, one of them's on the way up already. Come on up, Aaron. He knows this cue. Uh, in a moment, I'll invite the family up and the, the godparents. But in metaphysics, a christening is number one about honoring the creative process. We are that expression that spirit moves in and through and as us, and and so we are the most refined opportunity for spirit to express on this planet at this point in time in terms of volition. I would not want to com- think that I can compete with a rose bush in terms of beauty, but we do have a volition that is uh, well beyond that of a, a rose bush. Number two, it's about dedicating ourselves to living in principle. And number three, to recognize always the wholeness and completeness of this family unit. Also, we're here to recognize there's no sin There's nothing to purify, nothing to cleanse or clarify. These children this morning, here and now, are living embodiments of the innocent love and life of spirit itself. Spirit is the creator of all life, as the author of all life, has so created this young boy and young girl. And the Christ consciousness abides as the heart and soul of both of these beautiful children. Who else but spirit could create such a miracle of life? And so I'm going to invite Aaron and uh, Anna to bring their mom and dad up, Stacy and Jeff, and the godparents, Greg and Sherry, if you would join me on the platform. I was almost late. I had to run home and get my robe for this, you know. I forgot. I knew I was missing something, but I made it. Good morning. All right. So I have with me in this uh, three-tiered vessel, I have some oil, which represents the anointing. I have some syrup, which is the sweetness of life, which represents the sweetness of the, the, the life that is before us, and also the water. And I will use the water. But the oil and the, uh, especially the maple syrup, become pretty popular. Okay, we ready? Are you ready? Nope, she's not ready. Perfect. And you, are you ready too? Yeah, he's good to go. All right. So we are here today, Stacy and Jeff, to be aware of the grandeur of life and to know that we are all expressions of that life and the role that your children play is of great significance in that, and I know you know that. So I ask you to be aware of who and what Aaron and Anna are. They are unique expressions of the life of God. Stacy and Jeff, you have the magnificent divine responsibility to forever know the truth that within your children, Anna and Aaron, are the whole and perfect idea of life as he and she already are within both of these children lives their own special genius and unique self. Parents are the instruments through which the idea comes forth into physical form, but spirit is the creator, not mom and dad. Parents are for the purpose of helping their children awaken to their own self-sufficiency and completeness. Parents are here to teach through example. 
For, for we are always directing the law of subconscious mind according to what we're doing and the ways we're doing it. There we go. Much better. Parents and godparents, it'll be over in a minute, it'll be okay. Parents and godparents are responsible to facilitate their children's learning that all the important truth of life, that eventually we all must stand on our own two feet and individually must be responsible for creating our own lives. So Stacy and Jeff, I invite you to remember, don't do Anna and Aaron's thinking for them and don't do their work for them. For that's not yours to do, it's theirs. Be self-aware and see through the eyes of your own spirit selves to the spirit self of Anna and Aaron. Yep. Provide the ways for Anna and Aaron to live in creative ways. Use positivity, love, and necessary discipline without imposing yourselves on Anna and Aaron. Remember that Anna and Aaron are here to challenge you both to learn new ways to love, to live, to learn, and they are also your teachers. And remember that they are here to challenge you in many ways. Your children... Remind your children often that we are not here to compete or compare ourselves to others, but to be ourselves. Cahil Gibran has this to say, Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, they are with you yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you, for life goes not backward, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the, the bows from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his, his might that his arrows go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves the bow that is stable. So Stacy and Aaron, uh, Stacy and Aaron, Stacy and Jeff, and you two, I ask, I'd like to ask both of you, do you pledge yourselves to, to provide your children, Anna and Aaron, with the opportunity to grow spiritually, to become increasingly aware of God's presence within themselves, and to know the experience of God's love and protection is always provided? Beautiful. All right. So, Anna, can I touch your forehead? Okay. Can I touch your hand? I'll touch your shoulder. Quick. I don't think any children have been yet harmed during the filming of this. I now dedicate Anna, this child, to the home of harmony, to the home of God. And I christen you in the name of divine spirit in whom you live, move, and have your being, now and always. sweetheart. And Aaron. I now dedicate you to the home of harmony, the home of God, and I christen you in the name of divine spirit in whom you live, move, and have your being now and always. (laughs) 
So as witnesses to this, I ask you to continue to see this family unit as a unique and wonder-filled expression of divine spirit, not just today, but each time you see Jeff and Stacy and Aaron and Anna in person or find yourself thinking of this occasion and this family. Will you do that? Thank you. So let us all join in the consciousness of blessing Stacy, Jeff, Anna, and Aaron in this moment by knowing the truth. And so what I know is I stand with these people and we recognize in the collective one life, one power, one infinite activity in and through and as each member here. We bless them. We give thanks for them for the opportunity to share this and recognize your divinity within yourself. For as we do that, we recognize it within ourselves. For it is a deep language, as Dr. Holmes said, when deep calls unto deep. And so in great love and great joy and great celebration, we give thanks to be witnesses to this process, this rite of passage for Aaron and Anna, for Stacy and Jeff, for Greg and Sherry. For this I give thanks, and together we say, and so it is. Blessings. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Congratulations. Thank you for being here. Congratulations. I'm not going to be putting that jacket back on either. I did that at the first service and had to go home and change my shirt. So when it's 100% humidity, I'm amazed I work that hard up here. It's a walk in the park. But it's always, it's always wonderful when we can do a christening and, uh, and be able to share it with the, the community. So I, I thank you. I thank you, Stefan, uh, Stacy, and Jeff for your willingness to do that. It's a beautiful thing to be reminded of, of life and the legacy that continues behind us as well and to be able to impart the consciousness that we represent here we've been using a book uh, this month called This I Believe and it's a wonderful I just think it's a wonderful uh, com- um, compilation of stories and I want to give you a little bit more background about it today because I think it's, it's important to understand where it comes from and what inspired it one of the things that inspired me about this um, I went online and there's a wonderful 22-minute video on YouTube called Ernest Holmes and he's explaining the science of mind. And in it he talks about belief extensively. And he talks about how it truly is done unto us as we believe. And he talks about as we believe quite consistently and he really fleshes that out because it's, it's the sum total of the as is really who we are in consciousness. And Holmes says within the, vi- the video that words without thoughts do not to heaven go which is a, comes from a line from Shakespeare, but words without thoughts do not to heaven go. And so what he's talking about there is the idea that it is the consciousness, it is the vibration upon the words, beneath the words, that has the impact in terms of our prayer work. And in this wonderful book, uh, this I believe, so I, I found this book and I started thinking about Holmes and, and, uh, and all that he wrote, who's a prolific writer. If you don't know, if you're here for the first time, Ernest Holmes was our founder He developed religious science in the early 1920s, and quite a phenomenal, interesting man. We are, so our teaching is the science of mind. We're called the Centers for Spiritual Living. Um, This idea for getting back to this book, this I believe, was, was uh, was discovered, this had been a series back in the 1950s. And what it was, was a group of men came together and they said, there's all these wonderful ideas, there's all these great things, and people are doing amazing things on the planet. We need to record it. We need to be able to, to write this down and have it as part of our legacy to be able, be able to look back at. 
And so through a series of processes, four people came together. One was Ward Wheelock, and Ward was uh, an advertising man. He was very wealthy. He was the, his company managed the Campbell's Soup account back in the 1950s, one of the biggest companies in the world. So he was very much on board. William Paley was the founder and CEO of CBS. David Thurborough was the general manager of the local affiliate in Philadelphia, and Edward R. Murrow, who was, a, who was one of the most famous and respected broadcasters in the world at the time. So those four met, and they met in Philadelphia, and they wanted to do this, and they wanted to build it so that they could syndicate it all over the world, which eventually they did. It was, it was in countries, it was in Europe, it was in Canada, and I'm sure many of our parents listened to this series. And it was, a, it was, a, uh, it was on once a week, for, uh, and it had an author that would write about 250 words of something inspirational and insight on what they believe and how they guide their lives. What, what Wheelock said, Ward Wheelock, who was the advertising man with Campbell's Soup, he said, material values, the reason it motivated this, it sounds, see if any of this sounds familiar today. See if anything has changed. He said, the reason they wanted to do this was because material values were gaining and spiritual values were losing. Okay, that's no longer real, okay? <laughs> they blamed the combination of factors including the uncertainty of the economic future, the, sh- the shadow of war, the atom bomb, army service for oneself or loved ones, and the frustration of young people facing the future. What I know is this is all very much same ideas, same kind of pressures, same questions. They said their hope was that these programs would be provocative, stimulating, and helpful to listeners. Shortly after the start of the series, this I believe, the staff received a letter from a housewife who took them to task for only showcasing the prominent and the prestigious. So, and, and so thereafter, the series, they took it to heart. The series took a, a decidedly more populous task, tack, featuring essays from cab drivers, teachers, longshoremen, nurses, Pullman porters, incarcerated convicts, and indeed housewives. So it was a wonderful, wonderful... And we have a few copies left in the bookstore. We, we, I don't know how many we, we brought in, um, but we brought in several. And uh, it's, it's really worth a read. You can actually, they actually have a website, and you can go on and read uh, old issues. This is just one issue of many issues that they put together. Interesting thing happened with... Uh, this, this, this process and why it stopped was that, um, number one, Wheelock lost his contract with Campbell's Soup. They pulled their, their account from his company, and, and uh, it was his primary source of income. Um, and it had incredible popularity. The other thing that happened with uh, Wheelock is he and his new wife and one of his two sons took a Caribbean cruise on his yacht. On January 18, 1955, the boat disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Wheelock's surviving son, Keith, remarked, there has been nothing found since then. And so that was not only the end of his life, but the end of the possible resuscitation of this, I believe. So interesting that here's a man that, that floated into the Bermuda Triangle. Leslie Paul was at the early service. I said it was, that was not a cruise book by Paul Travel, so I want everybody to know that. But, but interesting, but we do have the information, and we do have the... Um, some wonderful stories in here. A bit of what I wanted to share with you today is around this idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness by Andrew Sullivan. And Andrew Sullivan was born in England. He was educated at Oxford and Harvard. At 27, he became the editor of the New Republic, a position he held for five years. He was a writer, commentator, blogger, and he addressed political, social issues and advocate for gay rights. And so he wrote a, a short article and he begins with, I believe in life. 
I believe in treasuring it as a mystery that will never fully be understood. I believe in life. Treasuring it as a mystery that will never be fully understood. As a sanctity that should never be destroyed. As an invitation to experience now what can only be remembered tomorrow. I believe in its indivisibility. In the intimate connection. I love this. In the intimate connection between the newest bud of spring and the flicker in the eye of a patient near death. Between the athlete in his prime and the quadriplegic vet. Between the fetus in the womb and the mother who bears another life in her own body. I believe in liberty. I believe that within every soul lies the capacity to reach its own good. And that within every physical body there endures an unalienable right to be free from coercion. I believe in a system of government that places the liberty at the center of its concerns and that enforces the law solely to protect that freedom that sides with the individual against the claims of family and tribe and church and nation, that sees innocence before guilt and dignity before stigma. And he goes on and on. I believe in the pursuit of happiness, not its attainment, nor in final destination, but its pursuit. I believe in a journey, not the arrival, in conversation, not monologues, in multiple questions rather than a single answer. I believe the struggle to remake ourselves and challenge each other in the spirit of eternal forgiveness in the awareness that none of us know for sure what happiness truly is, but each of us knows the imperative to keep searching. And there's another couple of paragraphs. So I read that and I thought, started thinking about Ernest Holmes, who wrote What I Believe, and it's 13 statements of what we believe. We used to read these. We used to read a section of it each Sunday when people came into the, to service as part of our pre-service um, preparation. And we stopped doing that a few years ago. Um, and it was a conscious decision. I had a young man that came up to me. We used to ask people to stand, and we would have people read it out loud together. And I had a young man that was bringing a lot of his young friends to the center, and he said, you know, why are you forcing me and my friends to stand up and read something out loud that we're not sure whether we believe in or not? And I thought, well, that's, that's an interesting thing to note. Because if we're familiar with this and we're comfortable with it, there's no problem standing up and doing this. And so I thought, well, maybe we should revisit this. And I was at a, actually I was at a wedding. I did a wedding in Canmore yesterday. And uh, he was there. I hadn't seen him in about seven years. But it was really great to see him. Holmes begins this. He says, and if you're interested, it's online, What We Believe by Ernest Holmes. And Ernest, once again, our founder, his banner's over there. There was a lady at the wedding yesterday. She came up. She said, I know you. You're the minister at that church. And I said, yeah. And she said, we were there one time. Which right away tells you how well, much she liked it. <laughs> we were there one time. And she said, I don't remember a thing you said, but I remember the banners. And I said, yeah, that's why we put them up. <laughs> well, we did, so that people would know what we stand for. But Holmes said this, the first one, we believe in God, the living Spirit Almighty, one indestructible, absolute, and self-existent cause. This one manifests itself in and through all creation, but is not absorbed by its creation. The manifest universe is the body of God. It is the logical and necessary outcome of the infinite self-knowingness of God. The universe is the body of God. It is the logical and necessary outcome of the infinite self-knowingness of God. When I was studying the Baltimore Catechism in, first, in grade one in Catholic school, they used to say God is everywhere. Holmes is just saying it in a different way. God is everywhere present. He continues, we believe in the incarnation of the Spirit in everyone and that all people are incarnations of the one Spirit, which is exactly what Andrew Sullivan is talking about when he said he believes in the connection between the budding of the flower and the person that's on the deathbed. It's that connection of oneness. It's not a new idea. Holmes just codified it by these 13 statements. 
We believe in the eternality, the eternality, immortality, and the continuity of the individual soul forever and ever expanding. So our souls are not static. Our souls are constantly evolving. That's why when we pick up, I've been doing a lot of work, with, as you know, with Marcia Sutton around co-creation. And Marcia talks about when we pick up the textbook by Ernest Holmes, where we pick up the Bible, the consciousness of the individuals written in that, about the, in that book, the, the consciousness of Jesus of Nazareth is still evolving. The consciousness of Ernest Holmes is still evolving. So, yes, we are shifted and changed when we pick up the book and we read it anew, but it's also because that consciousness continues to evolve. Which is something that, when I read that with Ernest, I realized, you know, he's ta- this is exactly what he's talking about, forever and ever expanding. We're never done, we're never, we're never complete, we're, we're all works in progress. And so, where we are, these little these children that we, we christen today, they're going to, hopefully, our dream and our vision for their life is that they will grow and flourish and find their, their gifts and talents and share them with the world. But once we're done with these physical bodies, we continue to evolve. It's the ongoing nature of it, as Holmes described it. We believe that heaven is within us and that we experience it to the degree that we become conscious of it. We become conscious of it now. That heaven is not a geographical location. But heaven, in fact, is an awareness. It's a state of being. Jesus of Nazareth said that heaven is upon the face of the earth. But men and women do not see it. He was saying the same thing. What, what, we, what we find in the world is that people will say to us, well, we have to love Jesus to, to be saved. And I don't know what that means because everybody loves differently. I don't know one person that loves the same. Everybody's love is subjective. But what I, what I do know and what Holmes guided me to and nurtured me into and all my other teachers said is that the Christ consciousness lives within all of us. So the way to the Father is by means of me. He was talking about his consciousness. He was talking about his elevated sense of awareness and aliveness which became the threshold and the doorway that he could enter and pass into so that he was in direct connection with what he called his heavenly Father. He also said, these things that I have done, ye shall do an even greater. And this is what Holmes is talking about. We believe, he continues, we believe the ultimate goal of life is to be completely emancipated from all discord of every nature and that this goal is sure to be attained by all. To be emancipated from all discord of every nature. We believe in the unity of all life and that the highest God and the innermost God is one God. We believe that God is personal to all those who feel this indwelling presence. God is personal, personal to all those who feel the indwelling presence. I mentioned we went down to the, um, the wedding. In Canmore yesterday. And... Um, It was, we, we stopped and saw some friends in Pigeon Lake. And, and our friends said, well, just go down the back way. It's just as fast. So we went down through Rocky Mountain House and, uh, and uh, Caroline and Sudry and Sundry and Carmona. And, and it's not as fast. <laughs> we found out. And, I, and, and so I, and I'm, 
and, and I committed to doing this wedding months ago. And I'm thinking, and, and you know, Laura and I, were there, there's a lot of things happening, and it's summertime, and we're getting ready to you know, head south for a Silomar, and there's a lot of wonderful things going on. And so that, 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 that personality part of me was struggling, and I'm, and I'm, I'm feeling a bit of guilt because I've, I've involved my, my sweetheart in this whole endeavor too. And, and, um, uh, and so all that was sort of spinning for me. And then we got down there to the... Uh, to the wedding, and, and because we were leaving, the wedding wasn't until 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon, and then we had dinner and we headed back. We decided not to go through those uh, small towns again. But um, I was spinning it, and, and, and so sort of at the culmination, because and I use this as an example, but what happened was I started to get uh, frustrated with the decisions I'd made, and here we were, and on and on, and so you start to step into victim consciousness is really what it is. Why am I doing this? Why did I commit to this? Oh, gee whiz. This was such poor thinking on my part, and on and on and on. And then I realized um, what clicked in for me was the work I've been doing with Marcia Sutton. And in the, the sacred healing circles, one of the pieces that we give people is a, is a forgiveness prayer, and it's very simple. It's, so I thought of the name of the individual, and, and it's, I accept you on the inhale. So it, it could be me, Patrick, I accept you. <sighs> Patrick, I bless you on the exhale. And I started doing that. I said, you know what? I'm not going there. I don't want to do that. Because I'm already miserable. That's just going to make me more miserable. You know? And it, and it wasn't an instantaneous thing. It was sort of progressive. And then we checked out of our hotel room. And um, we didn't have anywhere to go. So we hung out in the car. Until we waited until the service started. But it was beautiful. We went to the Starbucks. And then I took a nap. It's very comfortable in my car. I'm telling you. I took a nap. And Laura read a book. And, but it was, it was wonderful. Because what happened in doing the forgiveness work. And then I started doing the God is the love I am prayer. Or the song that Marcia has us do at the beginning of the sacred healing circle. But what I'm, the reason I'm telling you this is I was so glad to have the practice. Because I didn't want to spin in that. And then I realized that you know, there's, there's a bigger purpose in mind here. Something bigger wants to happen here. And we got to the, the wedding. And... Um, there were some things happening at the wedding that were very unexpected. And part of the family, about a third of the group, there were about 33 people that were there, but about a third of them, which were the children of one of the people getting married, were not on board at all with the wedding. So we have sort of had this pulsating fury in the corner throughout the service. But I, but I got so clear about it, and what I had done in doing the practice and showing up in that prayerful state of just connection, that indwelling spirit, I said, you know what? And then, and then of course, First, the, the groom says to me, just speak from your heart. You don't need to read your text. And I'm like, really? So, and, and one of the things I know about in doing the work with Marsha, one of the things that Marsha Sutton, getting back to her, we were, t- we're working on how you want to show up in the world and what, what are the qualities that you want to live from. And my word, my purpose word is love. And one of them is, is um, that I realized came to me uh, is Preparation. For me, to, to, for, to, for me, one of the greatest expressions of love that I can offer is to put my energy into preparing something that's meaningful and impactful so that you have something that takes you, you take with you during the week that reminds you. Or, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, but I need to be reminded. And for me, that's the highest form of love that I can do in this, in this setting. And so for me as well, when he said, I want you to speak from the heart, so we were in the car and I was going through over my ceremony. And first I was trying to memorize it. And I realized I'm not going to memorize, you know, 10 pages of script in, in three hours. And then I kind of got an idea of what I wanted to say. And then I walked into the room and I saw the dynamic of it and all that went out the window. And I thought, isn't this interesting? But if I hadn't done all that, I've got to tell you, it's so important to do the preparation because the preparation may not be, you may cook the turkey dinner, but they may order hamburgers. 
So you pull the burgers out because burgers are what they, what's called for. And so in the process, what I realized, and what I said in, this, in the, in the uh, ceremony, I said, you know, what's important in this is we have to be true to ourselves. We have to honor ourselves. And it's right for you to. Because if we wait, when we know something's right and we're called to it, if we wait for everybody else to get on board, we'll never do anything. I mean, that's just the nature of humanity. If we wait for everybody that we know, get on board, I would never have picked up a Science of Mind textbook and got involved with this teaching if I needed my mother's permission. And I love my mother. Dearly, I love my mother more now than ever. But I had to be willing to disappoint my mother in order to follow, to go down this path. And I love her and honor her. And I said to these two people that sit there, so what's important is you two know. Because you know what happens is you, we get married, our kids go off and have their own lives. It'll be a while for Jeff and Stacy, don't get nervous. But they go off and have their own lives. And that's the way it should be. But when you're at the end of the day, pick wisely and pick wonderfully because you're going to be with this person for a long time. And so it's important that you know and it's important to, to affirm that for yourselves. And so what I realized in all this, with all this discord going on, it was one of the strangest experiences I've ever had. Uh, I mean, people wouldn't even look up from the table while the service was going on. And the rest were on board, you know. So it was just this, and, and, and yet what it is, is a call for me, and, and then I get involved with it. Then I'm in the middle of it, in my own head, thinking, well, they're wrong, and I'm right. And I say, stop that. They're having their own experience, and they're right and perfect. A few weeks earlier, I met with the mom. We were going to get married, and, and she said, I don't know what to do with my kids. And I said, well, you, one of the things that might be helpful is to know that they're mourning. They are mourning the death of that marriage, as they knew as their mom and dad. And they're still in mourning. And so when, I, when we were, afterwards, we were visiting a little bit, and she looked at me and said, she said, I realized how deeply they're mourning the loss of that. And I thought, she got it. She got it. Which was wonderful. So I realized we were, Laura and I were there to help hold that space and to help uh, be the presence of unconditional love. And, and to even love the kids. I've got kids. I know how upset they can get. My son Max, when we moved here, if he went to the doctoral ceremony, he didn't speak to me for nine months. If I'd waited till Max said, you can go to Alberta, you can do ministry, I'd still be down in California. You guys wouldn't even know me. You guys wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do the christening. <clears throat> So, but this is how this teaching, and this is how we can have an impact in the lives. And it's, it's in this moment. Our teaching is so much about process, it's not about a goal. It's not about a destination. That's exactly what this young man said, the pursuit of happiness is not a destination. It's a process. And I'm committed to that. And I'm committed to continuing to deepen in my own consciousness at the level I can do it. That's my process. I'm committed to showing up in a, with a mindfulness. So, so the discord and taking the... And it is a scenic route. And I know you'll tell me on the way out the door that you know, I should go back another time. And I might think about it sometime when I have a lot of time. But what it was was part of the preparation. It was part of the preparation. It was part of the discontent that showed up for me so that I could go into spiritual practice and I could do my work and say, you know what? I'm here to be of service and I'm here to stand in love and I want to be able to, to nurture what's the highest and the best. And then to walk into that room and having done that, because I had to clean myself up first, I had to do my own work first. Love to tell you that, you know, I walk around as brilliant and wonderful like this all the time. <laughs> you know, I got these new glasses and it's very interesting. 
because a lot of my peers, the people in my age range, they, not everyone, but a number of them said, boy, they're really big. Which, well, thank you so much. But the young ones say, those are so cool. So you, as, you'll find out what category you, uh, you're in. But I sure can see good, that's for sure. Napoleon Bonaparte said this. He said, we men of power merely rearrange the world. We men of power merely rearrange the world. But it is only people of the spirit who really change it. He was talking about consciousness. He was talking about the, the St. Francis's and, the, and all those great wonderful people that came along that pushed the envelope of consciousness forward, whose shoulders we stand upon. Thomas Sterner wrote a wonderful book. We don't have this in the bookstore. It's at, I got it at Chapters. It's called The Practicing Mind. And he tells a wonderful story in here that I think is so indicative of our process, of what Holmes is talking about. See, Holmes is not talking about something will be. All of our prayer work is done in the here and now because that is where spirit hears it. So we don't say one day that I'm going to have all my bills paid. One day I'm going to take the trip of a lifetime. One day I'm going to find the right and perfect mate. One day I'm going to have the perfect job. This is my prayer, because that was how I was raised to pray. And there was not, nothing wrong with that. At least I was learning how to pray. At least I was learning to look within and turn within. What Holmes said is we affirm it here and now. So what I am is I am the consciousness of divine abundance. I am the consciousness of the right and perfect job, and I am a magnet for the right and perfect employee, the right and perfect project, or the right and perfect opportunity, and that doorway is opening for me here and now. We affirm it in the now. We give the information. We impress upon this infinite law, this idea, so that this, this, this silly putty of consciousness, when we put your hand in the silly putty, it leaves the imprint of your hand. This is exactly what the law does. And when we do it with conviction and love and grace and beauty and the understanding that we are not, we don't create, we don't build the tree. We don't grow the tree. But we can be the carpenter that cuts the tree down and makes something out of it. But God builds the tree. He's got the hard part. When I was a carpenter... And I had a conversation in the last couple of weeks with someone. We got talking about bringing heaven to earth. Because that's really what our teaching is. It's bringing heaven, bringing heaven to earth. And he said to me, well, you did that as a carpenter. And I said, well, tell me more about that. Because a lot of carpentry stuff I did, I just, I didn't feel like I was being real spiritual. And he said, well, someone would come with, to an, you with an idea. That would be their dream. I would like kitchen cabinets. And they would, they'll be here. And there'll be drawers here in the bank. And I want a pantry there and whatever. And then we'd, we'd, we'd have a drawing. We'd measure. We'd fit it he said when you took the wood and you built it and put it together you created their dream which is how we bring heaven to earth I thought man I've been doing this for a long time and I never thought of it like that because I always thought it was something much bigger you know in my what's heaven to earth well it's world peace it's parting the Red Sea that kind of stuff but anyway, Thomas, Thomas Sterner tells a wonderful story. He, he was a musician. He, he worked on pianos and a piano tuner and also a, a student of life. So he uses a lot of metaphors around that. And what he said was that uh, one of his vendors that he worked for went to Japan to study a, a, a piano company. And he said that when he went there, he went on the production floor and he went down the assembly line. And here was a man that was making the back plate for the piano that all the strings connect to. So there's different tones when you play the piano and he said he, he came upon this man and he said um, um, 
how many of these each day do you make? Because that's our, in, in the West, how many can you get done? You know, production. And he said, as many as I can make perfect. And the guy said, what do you mean, as many as you can make perfect? He said, don't you have a supervisor that you report to? And he said, what's a supervisor? And he says, well, somebody that makes sure you do your job correctly. And the man replied, why would I need someone to make sure I do my job correctly? That's my job. He said, we, can begin to, we can't begin, and he's talking about the Western mindset. And I think it's important to, to layer this in here because it's so imperative to what we as a spiritual community teach and I, I think stand for. He said, we can't begin to conceive of a mindset like this. If it took all day to make one perfect plate, he had done his job correctly and fulfilled the company's expectations of his position. The job required him to focus his mind in the present and keep it there. By practicing this right thinking, he produced the best work and maintained a fresh, uncluttered mind. One perfect plate was more important than 20 acceptable ones. One perfect plate was more important than 20 acceptable ones. They talk about healing. You know, we talk about healing in in Scripture, it says in the twinkling of an eye, which means instantaneous. But what, what creates that environment is the consciousness, the alignment of consciousness. And that's the work. That's, that's what takes the work. That's the challenge. How do, I, how do I shift my consciousness in a way that allows me, as Holmes said, to be in that divine co-creation, in the unity of all life, and the highest God, and the innermost God is one God, and to live from that. And it's not airy-fairy. It just takes practice. It's very difficult. It's very challenging. This is one of the hardest teachings on the planet. I mean, it's much easier to go somewhere and have people tell you what to believe and to think and how to behave and give you the rule book. Sterner says this in The Practicing Mind, and I think this is so beautiful as well. This is right after the story about the piano maker. He said, when we focus our energies on the process of attaining something, whether it be an object or a skill, and through patience and discipline we achieve it, we experience a joy that is just not present when something comes too quickly or easily. I think that's why it's such a mystery what we do, this idea of faith and connecting, and connecting in a deep and powerful and meaningful way, and not based on somebody else's experience. Why would Jesus say, these things I have done, ye shall do an even greater? Why would he say that? Why would he even write that down? That's an invitation. Our legacy, what has been handed down to us, is the continuity of evolved consciousness. And we have the opportunity to be in these bodies and do it. And to show up in the world as that representative of the Christ consciousness, the Christ awareness, the unconditional love. I share with you my story at the wedding. I realize, you know what, you're called to show up at your best right here, pal. So put down all your good opinions, put down your need to defend anybody here and to defend or be against that group and stand for everybody. And know because the divinity within the people that are upset in our mourning is precious and it needs to be loved and it needs to be honored. But we also need to celebrate the decision these two people are making today and to love them all. Sterner continues, in fact, when we reminisce about something we try to acquire, the process is what comes to mind, not the object itself. We remember our mastery of our undisciplined nature. 
the patience and perseverance that we developed and the joy and satisfaction we experienced then. And what we remember is timeless because we experience it all over again. And what Holmes is talking about is very much about this process. It's process-oriented. It requires us to stay in the present with what we're feeling, what we're processing, where we're going now. Is it our history? Is it our biases? Is it our... You know, Dr. Ken Gordon, when he said, you know, we are the perfect tradition, when he was here a few weeks ago for my doctorate ceremony and he spoke on Sunday, he said, we're the perfect tradition for the conservative political mindset. It is about taking responsibility for your life and making something of yourself. How is that in opposition to that? But the other piece of it is we also say, let's, be gen- let's have generosity of spirit and help everyone that needs help. But the, 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 the nuance is how do we know when help is not help? That takes wisdom. It takes wisdom. Sterner says, make the process the goal and use the overall goal, the rudder, to steer your efforts. Make the pr- process the goal. So when a sailing ship is a great metaphor for this. So when we're sailing along and we want to get over to the other side of the lake, many times the winds won't let us go straight across. We have to tack. We have to tack. We have to build the consciousness. You know? David Walker asked me when I went through my, uh, install, uh, my um, ordination in Fillmore, just before I came up here, my first church, and I was ordained. And he, he asked me in front of everybody, what, what's, what do you notice? And I said, well, just so much greater peace in my life. If you want to ask one, it's greater peace in my life. And and that continues to be the same theme. Doesn't mean that that there's always peace, but there's greater peace. Sterner's fourth point around this be deliberate, have an intention about what you want what you want to accomplish and remain aware of that intention. So keep yourself process oriented, number one, stay in the present, number two, make the process the goal, and be deliberate. That's what he's talking about in the practicing mind. The reason that, that for me all these things tie in so beautifully is exactly what Dr. Holmes was talking about. He has 13 of them here. The last two, he said, we believe in the internal goodness, the eternal loving kindness, and the eternal givingness of all life to all. That's at the highest point. We believe in our own soul, our own spirit, and our own destiny, for we understand that the life of all is God. God is all there is, and so it is. Blessings. Thank you.